Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. We're looking at 1 Kings chapter number 12 tonight. If you remember the last time we were together, we were talking about the twilight and the setting of Solomon. If you remember, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. However, when we look in 1 Kings chapter number 11, we actually see how he succumbs to sin. We have learned in the book of Judges that the strongest among us, being Samson, who actually fell into sin. And now we see the wisest among us, who was Solomon, succumb to sin. So what does that tell us about ourselves? That we don't stand a chance against sin. That sin is a formidable opponent. It will slaughter you and lay you out. Adam being the first man made in the image of God without any flaws because he was the first copy. He was the original when he was scooped up out of the sand made in the image of God along with his beautiful wife. At that point he succumbed to sin. He exercised his free will. You actually see in chapter number 12 of 1 Kings that any time we exercise our free will we usually choose faulty reasoning. We choose sin. That's what we do. That's what free will gives us. But it's the work and the power of God to redeem sinners. Amen. We learn more about that in Ephesians. But we'll see it spike up here in chapter number 12. So I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter number 12. Last time we were together we saw how Solomon passed on. How he has been diverted from following after the Lord because of his heart. He fell into idol worship because of his many marriages. Many times we can look in the text and we assume that it's because of lust. Well actually it was distrusting God and idol worship because he did not trust God to secure his borders. He was doing these many marriages and making pacts with the nations around him, having arranged marriages to make sure there was peace around his borders. But God had promised him that he would secure his borders and he don't need no help. Basically, if you need to understand chapter number 11, God don't need no help. God can handle his situations. He can handle his promises. He don't need you to throw in the put your hat into the ring to join up with them to make a move for God. Now we look in 1 Kings chapter number 12. Rehoboam, this is the son of this uh, wondrous uh, uh, man who wrote Ecclesiastes and the man who wrote Proverbs, the Song of Solomon's. Uh, we see in chapter number 12 verse 1, Rehoboam the son went to Shechem. Now you might wonder, why did he go to Shechem instead of Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem has been established as the capital city of all of Israel. However, there was unrest in the northern regions at the time because of the weight of the compulsive work that Solomon had on the population. The northern tribes were now in unrest. They were unruly. And now we see that Rehoboam is trying to be wise like his father and go into their district. So he goes there in chapter number 12 verse 1 for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king and as soon as Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard of it now remember Jeroboam was the man that Solomon handpicked to be the governor over the tribe of Joseph or Ephraim and Manasseh he handpicked him however Abijah saw him as he was leaving the meeting, meeting with Solomon and had a prophecy for him Telling him that God is going to snatch the ruling class or the 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 the, the, the crown from the, the son of Solomon and give it to him. 
Because his salty worship, his, his uh, uh, fading heart, his wayward mind is not following the statutes and honoring God, but running after other gods. Remember, we spoke about how Solomon was worshiping Moloch, a child sacrifice idol, burning babies on the altar. We, we, studied, how he studied, how, we studied how he worshiped in the high places, in the mountains, how he worshiped the God of the weather, the God of fertility, how he would visit the temple with the prostitutes there in the temple just to serve other gods. When God had came to him twice in a vision, giving him promises, but it shows us that our hearts are wayward, that we don't pursue God. Truly, God pursues us. And God had made a promise to David that he would not lack a man on the throne. So we will see that prophecy unfold here in chapter number 12. Chapter 12. As soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from the king of Sol- from King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Jeroboam now was fleeing from Solomon, goes into Egypt into exile because Solomon hears of the prophecy over him. Do you remember whenever Solomon had a prophecy over him? And it seems like it went full circle that now he fell into idolatry and wickedness, making his heart hard towards the things of God. Whenever we see that his brother Absalom and his other brother Abinah was going against the prophecies of Solomon because he was called Jedidiah, the beloved of God, that God had ordained and chosen him to be king after David. That, that whenever we go against the prophecies in the Word of God, you're not just going against the prophecies. You're not going against the tide or the culture. You're literally going against God. And that's what Solomon did in his later years. Go against the prophecy and the words of God. Now we see that he flees to to Egypt and now he comes back. Jeroboam returns from Egypt. Now we will see here later on in the chapter that the northern tribes get Jeroboam to be a spokesman to negotiate a deal with the new king who is now Rehoboam. Now we can see that he was uh, uh, the man who was over over all the labor. He was someone who was very educated. He was someone who was gifted. Why else would Solomon handpick him and then the, uh, the uh, prophecy be placed upon him to cause him to run from Solomon? But now the northern tribes have got, gotten word back to him in Egypt and he has returned home at Rehoboam's coronation. We see in verse 3, And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father had made our yoke heavy. And therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke upon us, and we will serve you. They come to the new king, this young man, and actually we'll actually learn that he's not quite that young, not as young as you would think. He's actually 40 years old. We'll learn about that in First Kings chapter 14. But he comes, and, and now they're trying to negotiate. You would think they, they've unionized almost, and they're trying to, to get the lesson, the burden on the people for Solomon in his later years, his kingdom flourished. However, in his later years, as he started his idol worship, he started great building projects and he started to tax the people heavily. And also, to, uh, as we learned in the previous few chapters, he had a 
constant rotation of people working in Lebanon and going into the cedars and cutting down trees, working into quarries to build his nation. However, his spending exceeded what he was bringing in, so he taxed the people heavily. Now we see that they're asking for relief. They're saying your yoke, your father's yoke was heavy. Now lighten it and your people will serve you. Notice it lightened the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke upon us and we will serve you. In verse number 5, he said to them, go away for three days and come again to me. So the people went away. At this time it seems like Rehoboam is starting off really well. He's taking time. He's not shooting from the hip. He's taking time. He had plenty of time to learn about wisdom. Wisdom walked the house that he was raised in. Wisdom them being the, the wise king Solomon. I'm sure his this young man was walking beside Solomon, saw how he would handle business and how he would handle court. But now there's no guarantees if you are walking with a wise uh, parent that you will be wise. For wisdom is not hereditary. Amen. Actually what we'll see here that Rehoboam will say some foolish things and starts a civil war that will split the nation into two. I will let you see in verse number 6, when King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who stood before him, Solomon his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? At this point, if you remember, back in uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, 5, and 6, we saw a list of governors. Remember, there were governors in each district who would be the ones to feed the household of Solomon. Not only the household, but I mean the, the palace. They were actually feeding the, the, the army, the standing army that Solomon had, uh, had uh, acquired. Going against the commandments of God because God told him in Deuteronomy, don't amass horses and soldiers, putting your trust in them. Solomon now had grown pretty big for his britches. Solomon now had grown in such a way where he really didn't need God. He just needed to tax the people to pay for his dreams and his endeavors. Mm. Our our country certainly would learn something from this. As we look in verse number 6, King Rehoboam goes to the old men. These are those, those governors, those who have been around, those who have experience. How would you advise me to answer the people? It's good that Rehoboam goes and seeks wise counsel. That is good, but it's also good to heed the wise counsel. As we know that the Solomon himself is not wise to throw pearls before swine. What does that mean, the old adage? That means don't throw something valuable before something that's going to be wasted. These elder, elder statesmen were now now giving him advice well he will not even take it he might, they might as well have been blowing their breath in the wind this young man would not heed it for he wanted something he really wanted he already knew what he was going to do he just wanted to hear it from somebody else's voice and in verse number 7 and they said to him if you will be a servant already he don't want to be a servant he wants to be a king Solomon was a king but the elders are telling him you be a servant who else has told uh, his people to be servants? We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. We're going to contrast three kings here tonight. But here the elder statesmen, those who have experience and who are mature in their place, tell him if you will be a servant to the people today and serve them and speak good words to them, then when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. 
He tells this young king, the elders, say they will be yours forever if you speak kindly and gentle towards them. In Proverbs chapter 12, his own father, who wrote most of the Proverbs, says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Again, in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 13, Zechariah is in a heavenly vision. He's overwhelmed and he hears in verse 13, The Lord answered graciously and comforting words to the angel, angel who was talking with me. The, the, there is power and the power in the tongue. The words that roll off your mouth will either break bones or heal. Amen. He had an opportunity here. To reconcile and to keep and hold things together. In his folly, he will say foolish things because he will take that bad advice. And you might say, where is God in all of this? Well, God had pre predestined. He had foresaw and foreknew all that was going to take place in the chapter. In fact, he boasted of it just a few chapters back whenever the prophecy over Jeroboam was given. But Rehoboam will say foolish things just like very much in your life when you do foolish things and you make mistakes and you make your own choices. God foresaw and already knew that you would do those things. He already knew. Uh, basically, if you want to put theology, uh, to, uh, bring it down to the bottom shelf and put it in a small box so you understand. Whenever God sees you, He accounts your stupidity. When He calls you, He understands your limitations. When He, when he knows that the end result will you being in His presence, He takes into account all your mistakes and He works it for our good. How about that? Romans eight twenty eight. All things work towards good. Even the bad things work towards our good. We see here in verse number 8, But he abandoned the counsel of the old men, the old men that gave him, and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. The privilege of the younger generation. These are those uh, who were uh, who were uh, grew up in the government. They were there who saw how the elder statesmen and saw how the, they handled the government. He took their counsel. And what was their counsel? And really... When we see the text, it says, the young men. Well, I want to let you know in, in Rehoboam, whenever we read in chapter 14, the first Kings chapter 14, verse 21, Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. At this point at 41 years old, we consider you grown around these parts, but many people don't act grown. But then again, number, the number of a person's age is, is just a number, yeah. But it's really about maturity. It's about a person's mature level. And Rehoboam Rehoboam certainly does not show his maturity level here. And in verse number 8, But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. In verse 9, And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who, who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father has put on us. And the young man who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My finger is thicker than my father's thighs. It's almost as if they're playing games here. They're in the back room and he says, What do you suggest I say to these people? And they're almost, they're playing with people's lives. When this young man takes the throne as the king of Israel, the words he has will bear much weight in the lives of people. Let that resonate with you. Maybe you don't 
ascend to a throne over a people. But how about in your household? For you are responsible for your household. The words you speak. Maybe the people that you love dearly are not in your household anymore. They've matured and grown up and moved into their own houses. But the words you still speak still hold weight over them. Don't be foolish. And don't handle these things. Mishandling them without much care. Rehoboam had much responsibility and he treats it like a game of chicken with these people who have been loyal to Solomon. And now he uses the analogy that you thought my daddy was bad. Wait, do you get a hold of me? How do the people react? You would think they would humble down and say, okay, sure. That's not what took place. For we see in verse 11, whereas my father had Father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will add to your yoke. Your father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I, I, I don't know what came across this young man. Well, if he was really thinking about I don't know if he was just flexing, just showing everybody, hey, I'm the new king, don't cross me. But this was not the occasion. For the people were coming and saying, Will you lighten the load? For we are burdened. For it was not the king who had blessed the nation. It was God. And the king had gone wayward. But God had prophesied and knew that the the kingdom would go wayward. But God has a plan. Amen. God knew this would take place. That the salvation of Israel was not hinged on Solomon. It was hinged on God. That's the story of your life. Yes, you may think you're the king of your, your domain. You, you handle the ship. You're the, the master captain. You, you, ruin, you run, I almost said ruin, you run your life. You handle your business. And, and you believe that you're the, the one who is handling your destiny. That you're holding your future in your hand. But I want to remind you, there's one above you. There's one who reigns above everything. Who's above it all. He is in control. He is in charge. At this point, this young man is saying, my father disciplined with whips, and I will discipline you with scorpions. Verse 12, So Jeroboam and all the people came to Jeroboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me on the third day. Then verse 13, And the king answered the people harshly, and and forsaking the counsel of the old men. That had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shelonite to Joaboam, the son of Nabat. Do you see there, even in our folly, even in our failures, that God has orchestrated it, even in your mistakes, even in your failure, even your shooting off off the mouth, even you saying those unkind words, that even God, uh, we've, we've studied this congregation, we've, we spoke about how God used Pharaoh to be a vessel of wrath. To prove and show that He is God. To put it plainly, to put theology on the bottom shelf, is that God can take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. That God reigns even over wickedness. He reigns over the affairs of men and even their free will and their choices. Amen. So in verse 16, 
And when all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have with David? If you remember, that phrase was used before. Whenever there was an uprising back in 2 Samuel, when David was trying to unite the tribes, and they were saying, what do we got to do with David? What's David got to do with us? Here again, we see the ten tribes uniting together to say, what do we have to do with David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house. Look to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. I want to let you know that we we have seen this before. It's almost like history repeats itself. I know in most schools they don't want to they don't want to teach history. They want to revise history and even change history to suit their needs and their agendas now. But if you don't understand and learn history, you're destined to repeat it. As we see the wheel of Israel spinning over and over. If you remember when we studied for the book of Joshua, going on into Judges, we saw where Israel falls away from the Lord. They cry out to God and God sends them a redeemer. They get close to God again and fall away until uh, uh, all the way until that judge either passes away uh, and, or the, uh, a time passes and then the will returns again. We will see the same cycle all the way through 1 Kings and 2 Kings into 1 and 2 Chronicles. We see the same cycle today in our own society where uh, we see where we get close to God and we get uh, distracted but all that glitters and glows and turn our hearts and our minds away from God until we cry out to God and He redeems us yet again. We, we see here in verse number 17, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. We see that in verse 18, the king Rehoboam sent Adram, who was a taskmaster over the forced slaver, and all, the, all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. At this point, Rehoboam, he, he, wants, to, he wants to send a representative. The people weren't going to receive him, so he sends the guy who handles the labor. And they killed him. So I guess he considered, oh, well, they're serious. I better go head home. So what he does, he heads back down south to Jerusalem. Now at Shechem, we'll learn that this, this new king, Jeroboam, has risen up and he will reign over the northern tribes. What all started as a dispute over labor has now blown into a full, almost a full civil war because now, now that Jeroboam is up in the north and Rehoboam is down south, we will have a, a moment where things will get very tense. We see where now this young man Rehoboam heads back and he will muster up soldiers. In verse 19, So Israel was in rebellion against the house of David to this day, letting you know that the northern tribes, who were the ten tribes, were called Israel. Now the split has took place. And now the southern tribe, which is Judah, and half the tribe of Benjamin, which also has the tribe of Levi, which not is counted as one of the tribes because they work in the temple. So you'll see that Benjamin was split between the two. History shows us that Benjamin worked some with Judah and the other northern tribes. So we see here that Israel was in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all of Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned... 
They sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all of Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. Now for those who were like a little fun tad tidbit, the, the, the tribe of Judah, Judah being the tribe that comes from Judah of course, but we learned that the tribe of Judah is known for praise. Whenever the armies of Israel would go out to fight, Judah would always lead the army because whenever you go into battle in your spiritual walk, you always lead with praise. It got real quiet in here. No hallelujahs. Thank you, Jesus. But I want to remind you, whatever battles you face, lead it with praise. Walk in praise. Thank you, Jesus. As I walk into this battle, you have brought me through the last battle. You have kept me and you held me. You will steady me. You have anchored me. You will plead over me. You will defend me. You are my fortress and my tower. You're my shield and my buckler. That is what Judah would do when they walked into battle. Now Judah has a king named David. And David is known for worship. For we can read of the tabernacle in Moses' time that it always had an altar. There was always a sacrifice there. Inside was the Holy of Holies in the ark. But what David added outside the tabernacle in the, in the more a place of the tent that was placed in, in Jer- Jerusalem is that he worshipped. David danced before the Lord with all his might. He danced and worshipped. So that's why we see that David was a worshiper. And that's why him and Judah just clicked. Do you see that? That other worshipers love to be around other worshipers because they understand that God is worthy to be praised. I wonder tonight, do you know if God is worthy to be praised? Has He not brought you through these many years? Has He not steadied you, watched over you even when you weren't walking with Him? Has He not defended you when you didn't even know where the attacks were coming from? Judah here is staying faithful to David. And David really had received a covenant from God saying that you will never lack to have a man on the throne. As we look the, the, the kings and First and Second Chronicles, we will see there will be competing kings, the northern and southern kingdoms. But that's not the prophecy that God is speaking about when He tells David that you will never lack to have a man on the throne. He's talking about the seed of the woman. This seed of a woman that we read back in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, that when Humanity fell. God comes and speaks to Adam and Eve and tells the serpent that he will crawl on the belly of his, on his belly and eat the dust all the days of his life. He tells Adam that he will work by the sweat of his brow and thorns will come up and come against him and all the creation will be against him. And he tells the woman that she, she will labor in much pain. But he doesn't leave us in that state. He preaches the gospel there. He says that there will be a seed of the woman. Not the seed of the man. For the man carries the seed in the natural. But the seed of the woman. She can't fertilize her own eggs. She can't bring forth babies by herself. So she will be over, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. I know the Quran teaches that God had sex with Mary. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That the Holy Ghost conceived in her womb and brought forth a child. From a virgin womb bringing forth a child. And that's the seed of David. That's the one who's the eternal one who sits on the throne. He is the one who will never like to be on the throne. That's the promise that God made to Abraham. And made, no, God made to, to, to Adam and made to, made, made to Abraham. That from his seed he will bless all the nations. And then made a promise to David that he... He will never lack a king on the throne. And it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
Uh, I want to examine just for a moment the difference between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam was a young man who said, I, 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 you thought my daddy was bad. You, you wait. Wait till I'm on the throne and I'm sovereign. Jeroboam runs and flees with a little bit more wisdom. But we see that as we continue on in this chapter, he has ambition. For God told this man that I will politically split the nation into two. But this man goes a little step further. He raises up another religion. He causes the nation to fall into idolatry. So we compare the two. But then, what good is it to compare apple to oranges, literally? What do you mean, preacher? We don't need to compare ourselves to each other. We all sin differently. I'm not hard on Solomon. I'm not going to pick on him or David. Yes, David committed adultery. He had a man killed. If it were not for God sustaining you and keeping you, you would have done worse. If God would have took His hand off of you and just turned you over to your own sins, who knows what kind of monster He would have allowed you to be. He just holds you a little close. We're not going to do that. You're mine. If He were to take His hand off of you, where would you be? What would you have done? So we compare these two kings. What good is that? What a waste of time. Let us compare those two kings to another king. The king of kings and lord of lords. For we see that this, this young king, Rehoboam, he says, my, my, my father's yoke was heavy. And he beats you with whips. He, 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 he put burdens on you. Well, what did the one king of kings and lord of lords say? Well, we can actually look at the, the yoke of the king in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the nation. He says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves were not willing to move them with one finger. Jesus acknowledges the burdens of the people around the nation around Him. It's one thing to notice how people are having a hard time. It's another thing to do something about it. Let's be honest. Many times we want to do something, but we can't. We're not able. It's true, neighbor, that you might have friends and family, loved ones, and even enemies who are addicted, who are bruised, ruined, broken, torn asunder, who are dead in their trespasses and sins. But personally, you can't do anything about it. If you could, you would. Then we see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 to 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases in strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of eagles and they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Well, how do we get there? I, I like that prophecy that Isaiah says. But we look around in our society, people are faint, they're weary, they're giving out. Even Deacon Tracy told us a couple of weeks ago that in the university over there where his son's going, there's been many suicides where children, young men and women are just giving up their lives for no purpose because they're overwhelmed or they're lost in despair. We see our society sinking down. It's almost like it's going around the drain. People don't know why they're existing. 
They, 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 they actually say that the, the COVID pandemic is the darkest time of history. No, it's not. You were in your pajamas at the house. That's not hard. Come on. I do believe, was it today or yesterday, is the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. That was pretty hard, having bombs dropped on you. But that's just our society. Or we used to have pictures in our, in our wallets of our children and our family. But now our cell phones are pictures of ourselves because we take selfies. We're self-righteous. We don't want everything to revolve around us. And now we find out that we can't carry the Word or hold the world up. And we become overwhelmed. So what hope is those who grow faint and weary? What hope, is, what hope can we find for those who are heavy laden and burdened? Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 He looks out over the masses because I want to let you know that Jesus was not a one-man band. He didn't have a couple of followers. At this point, in, in this part of text in Matthew chapter 11, He has reached that fever pitch. He is at rock star level. His fame is spread far and wide. Up to 10,000 people at one time would follow Him either to be fed or to see His miracles. And He looks out over the masses and He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. What is He telling us? All those who labor, those who are trying to earn their way to heaven and please God, He says you don't have to anymore. Those who are overwhelmed, heavy laden, the world is on your shoulders. If you've ever seen Atlas, who is one of the Greek gods, his knees buckle as the world, the globe is on his back. Our God hangs the earth upon nothing like a Christmas ornament. Rotates it. He says, I will give you rest. And this time of year, people get overwhelmed. It might be seasonal disorder, or it might be uh, someone you miss, or you're just trying to get through, trying to just hold yourself together. He says here, I will give you rest. You don't need to strive anymore to get to heaven. You don't have to fight anymore to stay above the water as you slipped under. He gives rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. That's servitude, servitude where you're serving Him. The yoke that you bear now is like scorpion whips that beats down into the wick of your soul. When I say wick, I mean the very core of who you are. It tears at you. But He tells you to take His yoke upon you and learn from Him. That means become His disciple. Sit at His feet. How will I speak? What will I do? Where will these hands labor for you? How will my feet run after you? What will I do? He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Rehoboam would not become gentle, nor will he become lowly. If he's gentle, he's able to deal with the feeblest of us. Those who don't need a harsh word to be slapped back into reality. He's gentle with us. If you are fragile today and you're broken... The world has done a number on you, left you fried and beaten. No worries. He's gentle. He says he's lowly in heart. 
The opposite of that is haughty. Putting your boot on someone's neck. Grinding in, grinding into their neck saying, you will serve me. Jesus came to serve is what we see here. He came to serve His people. In most realities, let's be honest, when one nation runs into another nation and fight over borders, they send armies to attack that nation, beat down its defenses and conquer it. But that's not the situation we read about in the Bible where Jesus comes to conquer death, hell and the grave. He doesn't send angel armies even though they're at His beck and call. He goes Himself to conquer. He conquers you and I. He conquers nations and dominions and principalities. He conquers them Himself. He lays Himself down for sinners like you and me. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Isn't about time you found rest for your soul? Isn't about time you rested? What does that look like? Is that called lazy? No, it's not called lazy. Why would Psalms 23 be written? He causes me to rest in gentle pastures. He restores my soul. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, I know it's hard to deal with the world. I I know it's hard to deal with your own self. I, I know it's hard to deal with the stresses of the world. But he says, his yoke is easy. And His burden is light. Church, I know He calls us to carry the cross and follow Him. I know He calls us to do that every day. But you say the cross is heavy. It might get uncomfortable. It might, it might, the, 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 the edges of the cross is splintering into my shoulder. And it's bloodstained. It's, it's not very attractive. It's, it's, it's horrendous to the eye for it's an instrument of death. For that's where we go to die. And you say the cross is heavy, but I want to remind you that Jesus has the heavy end. Because He says here, my burden is light. What burdens are you carrying that are weighing you down? What has entangled you? What's caught you up, caught you to slip, got your eyes off of God? For Jesus says, come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Going back to... Compare Jeroboam and Rehoboam before we see that Jesus, the King of kings, has totally decimated them. That there's no comparison. Even in our own lives, we can't compare ourselves to each other. What good is that? That's comparing chicken dung to dog dung. It's still dung. Y'all know that purple stuff in chicken dung? You know what that is? Dung. It's dung. It's all dung. Isaiah 64 verse 6. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Even the good things we do, we compare ourselves to each other. Look how good I'm doing. I ain't cussed all day. Look how I'm acting. I'm doing good. I tied two extra dollars this week. And we try to compare ourselves to each other. But our righteousness is filthy rags. Those don't warrant us a place in heaven. It's only grace and mercy. Amen, somebody. Why you got to be so explicit? So you get it. We see here, we see here that Rehoboam is now going down south, and he's getting ready to muster up a, 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 an army to go against his competitor up in the north. And verse twenty-one, and Rehoboam came to Jerusalem. He assembled all the house of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, one hundred and eighty thousand chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. He had every right to do this. For this, the, the, the nation has been split into two. But verse 22 comes along. But the word of the Lord came to Shema, the man of God. 
Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against the relatives of the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. In verse 24, probably out of the whole chapter, that is the most surprising verse out of chapter 12, that they listened to the word of the Lord. Why do you say that? Well, if for one, Rehoboam didn't inquire of the Lord how to speak to the people. The people were rebellious against the house of David. But now that trouble has come their way, instead of taking up arms, going to fight to reunite the nation, they listen to the Word of the Lord. We do well to do that. And wouldn't it be so much easier if me and the deacons got in a big truck tonight, got a couple of shovels and some tarps, drove by the devil's house and beat him to the white meat shows, then dragged him out to the middle of a field somewhere and buried him in a shallow grave. That would be so easy. But the Bible says our battle, our warfare is not carnal. It's spiritual. So we fight our battles on our knees. Adhering to the Word of God. Honoring the Lord. Receiving the Word of God. Submitting and committing to the Word of God. We see here that the people listened to the Word of the Lord. Went home again according to the Word of God. And then verse 25 we see where the idolatry starts. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penal. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David if his people go up to the, offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem. And the heart of the people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. Here we see that Jeroboam, after he received the oracles and the prophecy of God, really doesn't believe God. For God told him, I will give you the kingdom. But he has to secure the kingdom now that God has given to him. Do we do that whenever God makes promises to us? Whenever God saves you, listen to me, believer. When God saves you, you think, I gotta keep myself saved. I gotta do this now and I gotta do that to keep myself saved. I gotta do this to bribe God. He let me into heaven now. The Bible says, He will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Amen. He will remember your sins no more. He redeems you and He keeps you. That's His promises. In fact, you had nothing to do with it except the sin that made it necessary. Right. Amen. Here we are, we see that this King Jeroboam wants to help God. I know God gave me the kingdom now, i got to keep it. So he devises an idea in verse 28. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Notice in verse 28 he took counsel. Somebody told him, somebody advised him on this. Somebody who didn't read the Torah. Somebody who didn't read the Pentateuch. Somebody who did not know the, the laws in Leviticus. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
We see in verse 28 that this king, Jeroboam, is saying, it's too inconvenient to go all the way to Jerusalem to serve God. It's too hard. I know it's a long drive. You're going to put miles on your camel? You, you, you might get triple A, but I don't know. The reception out in the desert is pretty bad. You, you might get there. When you get there, you got to get the kids out in the camel. You got you to merge. And it's hard. That, that turnpike over there, that's, that's some rough traffic once a year when you're going all the way to Jerusalem. In fact, what, you, what we're going to do, right outside the city here, we got, we got some new gods. This is more convenient. It's easier. What we'll do is we'll stream it. You can stay home. You can stay home and have church. Oh, sorry. I, for a minute, I jumped to our time. I'm sorry. Ooh, I don't know. How, how, did that, how did that happen? Like Miss Barbara Willoughby showed me, you can stream a fireplace on your TV, and it looks nice. You might even hear the crackle. It, may, it looks good, but you won't feel the heat. you got to really be there. That's why we deny not the assembly together. Ooh, some weak amens, but they're here. You deny not the assembly together, like it says in Hebrews chapter, 20, chapter 7, verse 25. Deny not the assembly together. We see where here the, he, he, Jeroboam is making it easy for the people. Uh, part of the sacrifice, part of the worship is getting up on a Sunday morning, coming and gathering with the believers. Part of the worship is having to go through McDonald's to get a pancake because you didn't have time to cook it at the house to come to church. Part of the worship is getting your children dressed to come to church. Part of the worship is the night before going to bed in a timely manner so you can get up early to serve the Lord. Part of the worship is getting in a between services so you can be fresh and bright-eyed so you can hear the service that evening. Part of the worship is serving and worshiping all week so you can do it on a Sunday and midweek service as well. That's part of the worship. We don't need any shortcuts. We don't need it easier. We need just more discipline. Man, you're mean tonight. So the king took counsel. And he says, Behold your gods, O Israel. Notice he in your text, the gods is lowercase g, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I, I, I noticed one thing. Alright, for example, uh, the men in the house. You work a job and, and you labor and you purchase gifts for your children. And, and on that Christmas morning, Whenever you open presents at your house and you're sitting there and those gifts that you've gotten your children are under the tree and they tear into them and they're excited, they love what you got them. But on the tag, somebody put somebody else's name there that don't, they want yours. You purchased the gift. You labored with your time, your sweat. The calluses on your hand prove that you labored for the gift for your child. I don't know about you, but that would make me feel a certain type of way. I want credit for that. It's not that I need the credit. It's just I did it. What an insult to the breadwinner of the house. What an insult to the one who actually did it. We see that here, but it's a greater offense. Because they say these golden calves were a flashback to when Aaron made a golden calf outside of, outside of Egypt. 
Whenever the children of Israel were in the book of Exodus were coming out of Egypt and they just started to worship that calf, giving credit to, to that calf, a golden idol, for saving them and getting them out of under the finger of Pharaoh. We see it again here with Jeroboam saying, this is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. How insulting it is to our God. Now you can see why God detests idols. Taking credit for what only He has done. Oh, it's a horrible thing. Behold, the ones who brought you out of Egypt. Now you don't have to go down to Jerusalem. You can worship here. He even sets up one in verse 29. He says, set up one in Bethel and the other in Dan. And if you remember when we studied the book, of, uh, the book of Judges, you remember where Moses' grandson, Jared, he, he goes to Dan and he starts, he raises up an idol and they start a false religion there. So they were more prone for false religion there in Dan anyway. Uh, I had my children ask me, Daddy, why do people do that? Why do people say that? Why do... I said, baby, pagans are going to peg. Pagans just pag. They act like pagans because they're pagans. That's what they do. Dan was more prone to have false religion, so they swallowed this hole. In verse thirty, and this thing became a sin for the people. Went on as far as Dan to be before one. Dan being the northern peak of the nation, there for Jeroboam. We see because of Jeroboam. The nation falls into idolatry. That's how it works. Yeah, I'm not trying to pick on our nation's leaders. That's in a whole other category. What about in your house? You being in your household. For where the men go, the wife follows. And where the wife follows, little pitter-patter feet follow them. And where the heart of the family goes, so goes the city. And so goes the city, so goes the nation. It begins at home. We don't begin at the White House. It begins at your house. Preacher, I like when you talk about Biden, how stupid he is. I like when you talk about our Senate and our House and the Republicans. I like when you yell at the Democrats. I like when you do all that. But don't talk about my house. Do you serve them in your house? Do you have false gods there? Do you give credit to these things and not God? Do you give credit to your abilities and your ways to work out situations, your trading skills? Do you work out your, uh, do you give credit to your check or your, your job or your, your PhDs and all your diplomas? Do you give credit to those things and not God? Do you have your own false gods in your house? Do you have your own uh, trust in your ammunition, your beans and bullets and band-aids that you have hid under your bed, trusting in them that will secure you? Or do you trust your government? <laughs> do you trust your denomination? No, don't do that. Do you trust your preacher? You shouldn't do that. you trust your deacons? They're okay. But do you trust in God? Give credit to Him. Believing He will supply. He will keep. He will hold. Has He not brought you this far? Amen. We see in verse 31, He also made temples and high places and appointed priests among the people who were not the Levites. What's the problem with that? Why can't can't anybody just be a leader? Why can't we just do whatever we want? 
Well, God has established uh, a certain uh, regulatory principle on how a church is to be ran. Did you know He chose 12 disciples? Not a single woman was chosen among the 12 disciples. That was the time when He was going to establish a leader of a church as a woman. I'm not picking on ladies, but the Bible tells us that Paul says, I have not appointed a woman to have authority over a man spiritually. Mm, got real quiet, but it's biblical. If you're listening by podcasts and you, your pastor's a woman, you don't have a church. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm just being, that's what the Bible says. Are you a bigot? Are you hateful? No, I'm just trying to be biblical. If it was up to me, just do what you want, but I have to be biblical. The man is supposed to lead the household. He also is supposed to lead the household of the Lord, leading the family to the altar of the Lord, to serve the Lord. Here we see that here that, uh, that, that Jeroboam rises up people who were not Levites to be in the temples to serve. Another form of idolatry we can read in uh, Exodus chapter 23 and Numbers 9 that God has chosen the Levites to be in the temple. Not a single one of them was a woman. Well, that's old-fashioned. with Equality. Me and my wife are not equal. Uh, we're not the same. We're not alike. She can do stuff that I can't do. And I can't do stuff. I can do stuff that she can't do. So we're not alike. It's not equal. We complement each other. And God has called, called men to lead the church. Amen. 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 And Jeroboam appointed a feast in verse 32. The 15th day of the ninth, eighth month on the feast that was in Ju- Judah. And offered sacrifices on the altar. He also did that in Bethel. Sacrificing to calves that he made. And placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. In fact, in verse 32, he, God had given him politically the kingdom. But he goes a step further and causes idolatry to take place in the nation. God told him. He gave him the same promises that he gave Solomon. You do what I tell you to do, you're going to be okay. And he doesn't. This leads to a long line of failure and wicked kings. Generations will rise up because of the idolatry that have took place here and founded here will be fallen into the trench of, of paganism. Blatant wickedness before God. He even raises up other places to sacrifice sin. In verse 33, he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month. And in verse 33, he even brings up a festival. He even makes a day of celebration to compete against the one in the south. The day of the tabernacle, whenever the people were to gather at the temple and worship the Lord. He has a celebration. You don't need to go all the way down to Jerusalem. We're going to have a party here. We're going to serve people. We're going to have a good old time. It's all about convenience. There once was a man who was a missionary in Africa. Right there in the middle of Africa. He was there and he served faithfully. And the tribe that he was ministering in, they found out about the celebration of Christmas as this holiday season was rolling around. They learned that over in the Americas is what they said. They celebrate Christmas. The day of, of, of remembering what God has done and how He gave us a special gift who was Christ the Lord. And one member of the tribe left for a couple of days missionary was getting concerned and worried uh, around Christmas Day. The man returned who looked very weary. And he handed the man a seashell and put it in his hands. The missionary says, you went all the way to the ocean and got the seashell for me. That's a long journey. 
The man looked at the missionary and said, the journey is part of the gift. Our worship is not just Sunday mornings when we come here. We bow our heads and pray and we open our hymnals and worship and bow our heads and receive the Word of God following along in text. That's not just worship here. Worship is when you get into your car and the drive home and you're still praying and talking to Jesus. Worship is when you get home and you pull out your keys and you put it in the doorknob and you come inside your house and you're still talking to Jesus. As you prepare for bed tonight and you're still serving Jesus and you open your Bible, a quick devotion, and say a prayer for your pastor and the rest of the believers here in our community. That's continued worship. When you raise up in the morning, either before the sun or after the sun, and you raise up and you bless His holy name and you continue to meditate on His Word, living a life worthy of the calling that He's placed upon you, that is worship. And we worship minute by minute, hour by hour, and not out of convenience because there's nothing convenient about dealing with a co-worker who's yelling at the top of their tongue and you're trying to trying to be a, an instrument of holiness and righteousness. You're sacrificing yourself, laying yourself down on the altar and living for God. There's nothing convenient about it, but it's in the worship that's part of the journey. And until then, I want you to continue to worship. Until we meet Sunday morning, we worship not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but we worship day by day, hour by hour, because it's part of the journey. Not out of convenience. Jesus didn't say it would be easy. Be worth it. Let's bow our heads.